This is Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, the channel nomics podcast that connects you with channel chiefs, thought leaders, and executives about what it takes to get the next generation of tech to market. Here's your host, Larry Walsh, the CEO and Chief Analyst of Channel Nomics. Hey, thanks everyone. As Lydia said, I'm Larry Walsh. And of course, this behind me is a photo of me in orbit waiting for Richard Branson and, and Jeff Bezos to join me. Eventually they'll get there too. Um, all kidding aside, the uh, you know, if you've hung around me, you've heard me talk about travel uh, as a part of you know, one of the perks of this business is you get to go around the world. I've been on 12 of the 14 continents. I probably got that wrong. Um, I've been on a number, I've been around the world a couple of times. I've been to 33 different countries, worked with companies around the world, uh, lived in Europe for a few years. And I, I can tell you one of the best things about working and traveling around the world is really experiencing different cultures and different ways of doing things. And there's a lot of truth to the, you know, that there's a universality of the way we do business the world operates in not in a wholly homogenous way, but there's a lot of things that are transferable in different markets. But at the same time, operating internationally requires us to be to localize, to be able to interact with people in the way that they are, they prefer what their cultural norms are in their languages and their currencies. And in building out channels, that could be rather challenging because where do you go first? Who do you talk to? What is it that the customers are looking for? Who are the partners that service them? And how do you get into the markets with all of the the barriers that come with it, with those markets. So, you know, think about it, you know, every market has its own regulatory compliance, its own taxations. Um, it, it just becomes a very complex problem for channel people to, to navigate. Um, and that's why our guest today uh, is so interesting to me because you know, she is working for uh, a, a startup company. I want to say small, but it's not that small. It's a, it's a growing cloud storage concern Wasabi Technologies, um, and they are rapidly expanding their international footprint uh, as and mostly through channel partners. So I've asked Lori Mitchell, the VP of Partner and in International Marketing, to come join us today to talk about that international expansion and how they're doing it. And Lori is joining us from sunny Cape Cod, Massachusetts, my really close to my old hometown. So how are you doing, Lori? Doing great. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for having me. Lori, let's let's start with this because I, I got to tell you, um, you know, you want to get somebody's attention, you know, have a really compelling name. And when I saw Wasabi Technologies, I walked right by and said, "Okay, I don't even care what they do. I want to know more about about where this name came from." So, what's the relation or the relevancy of Wasabi and cloud storage? Yeah, that's like my favorite question to answer because I think one of the most important things you can do as a company, especially a small emerging one, is to have a really solid brand and an interesting brand. And just like you, many of our customers and partners come talk to us just to say, who the heck is Wasabi? Um, so <laughs> so uh, the backstory here is the founders of our company started out not as Wasabi at all, but as a different name, which is commonly the case in startup type environments. And then the CMO comes in and says, hey, we need a flashier name. Well, I think the original name was something like Blue Archive, which was like the CEO's favorite color, which is blue and storage is used for archive frequently. So, you know, we were like, hmm, not as good. 
Um, so we sought a new name and what's interesting about storage is we compete with Amazon, Google and Microsoft and they have all these different tiers of storage and they're hot and cold and archive and it's very complicated. And so we said, all right, what's a word that evokes hot, right? So our storage is always on, always available. You don't pay different fees for different tiers. So in the spirit of simplicity, wasabi is the perfect word for hot cloud storage, which is always that's, on. That's fantastic. While you were given that answer, I went and registered you know, Habanero. So that will be my storage <laughs> company. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about this, though, because there's a lot of, okay, since you brought it up, you know, the, the, different, the different heat levels of storage in the cloud, uh, there's a lot of cloud storage companies out there. What is it about Wasabi? What makes Wasabi different? Yeah, so that's exactly what makes us different is we've kept everything really simple. So when you go to Amazon or Google or Microsoft, your bill might look like, a hundred different line items. You have to figure out where to store your data, which data is going to be held longer, which we need faster. And it's pretty complex. So the whole point of Wasabi is simple. We have one tier, we have hot cloud storage. That's all we have. You want to archive, it's one price. It's a very low price. So we're 80% less than Amazon's S3 storage. And so that that's why everyone loves us. It's not just the low price, but it's simple. And it's more important than simple, it's predictable. So, you know, if you're a channel, especially, you can't have your bill like changing every month and not know what you're going to charge your customers. That's not a good business model. So, um, we've seen a lot of success just on our disruptive pricing model. You know, I kind of like that, Lori. I'm just going to go with it. And I, look, I'm going to give you this wasabi, simple as hot. You know, so exactly. I, I, it's a good message. Um, look, you're, and I hate to put terms that, that sound diminutive because it's not meant to be, but you're a relatively young company. You've been around just for a couple of years uh, in terms, I don't want to give away any real numbers here, but in terms of revenue, I wouldn't say that you're generating Amazon revenue, but you're growing and you have healthy eight digit, eight digit revenue. Um, what is it, you know, what is it that attracted Wasabi at this stage, you know, which would some would consider to be early stage to venture outside the domestic market and into the international waters, which is hugely complicated and really easy to get lost in. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Wasabi started off uh, with our website and a free trial and an experience and started building our brand with lots of PR and things like that. And the word kind of got out. We didn't originally have any data centers outside the US. So we started off in the US and what happened was Naturally, we got a lot of demand coming in, finding us. Um, we actually found a lot of channel partners and MSPs joining Wasabi before we even ever had a real channel program, before we had any margins for channel, anything like that. And we actually had a pent up demand in Europe, especially before we even launched. So when we decide to go to the next data center and where to do it, we start looking at the demand. And there's natural, either someone comes to us and wants a, uh, a footprint and they have a certain amount of data and we'll open up a, an anchor tenant kind of situation. But Europe was a natural place. By the time we opened up, there was already <laughs> pent up demand. And I think the data center started you know, taking orders immediately and pretty quickly growing. So 
So is it fair? It, look, I will tell you, my experience has been is that vendors that that venture out, particularly smaller U.S. companies, they tend to follow the what we affectionately call the old British Empire. They go to the U.K. and then they hop off to English-speaking countries because it's easier for them to to standardize in terms of language and culture. Um, but from what you're describing is that it was channel partners, not necessarily, if I'm hearing you correctly, not necessarily in English-speaking countries that actually showed you the way over. Yeah, exactly. And we decided to choose Amsterdam. That's a central location. And where the data is stored, proximity to where you're going to store it is important for latency of data and things like that. So picking a central location was important. We get asked all the time to open a UK data center because they would much prefer to have their data sovereignty located in their own domain. Um, and that's mm -hmm. you know where we start to look next, right? We say, all right, where can we go next? And where are the compliances needed? And, and we keep building from there. So with the demand. Yeah. Well, that pent up demand probably took you, got you entree into these, into these international markets, but pent up demand like you're describing doesn't last forever. So how do you take that base and build out from it? Yep, so that's a great question. So the first step is to build a strong team uh, right in the region. So in Europe in particular, we started a team in France. We started with sales as well as marketing resource and then a few inside sales reps. And so you start to build the marketing brand in region with a strong PR program, um, also social media and all the great things to build awareness, start to do events, and then have the right team on the street to be able to understand the differences between the different cultures of the countries. So that's how we started out there. And then from there, we keep building channel. So we started to onboard lots of in-country distributors. So we might have a distributor in Germany, another one in France, another one in the Netherlands, and they give us that cultural uh, necessity that you need. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think that that's one of the, the, the unsung heroes of international expansion sometimes is distribution. Um, you know, whenever I hear, in fact, for those of you who might recall, if, you know, a couple of months ago, I, you know, we had an episode entirely dedicated to what distribution gets overlooked for in terms of their value. And one of the big attributes is uh, is the international presence. I, you know, I say it all the time, is that try doing, try doing any business in Mozambique without going through distribution. It can't be done, right? So uh, you know, did the distributors find you? Did you find the distributors? Uh, yeah, so great question. So one of the things we've started to do is first we aligned with technology vendors that are complementary to us. So you're not just selling hot cloud storage, but you're selling like a whole backup solution. So in Europe, for example, we built a partnership with Altaro, who is one of the backup vendors that's popular there, and especially with SMB. And they said, hey, let's go together into our distribution channel. And so they introduced us to their distributors, and then we started to sign those up one at a time. And we've seen success with those distributors. I could probably do the same thing with other technology vendors. So we, we partner also very largely with Beam and Commvault, Rubrik and others. And we're starting to also align with their channel. So now they have a full solution story to go to market with. And it really resonates well with the end customers. Yeah. Are you finding though that you, as you continue to, as you continue to do your build out, that your expectations and your standards change? Are you, do you, do you find yourself saying, okay, you've onboarded a bunch of partners. Um, 
but did they actually work out the way you thought they were going to? And did that shape the way you thought or shape your, your strategy for identifying, qualifying and onboarding new partners? Um, so yes, yeah, so we onboard partners big and small and many of them sign up and they just start selling and they're happy and they come to our partner portal and they do all self-service onboarding all by themselves. Others need a lot more handholding to get going. And so what we do is we look at our partners and we say, how many of them are active, right? And in the US, I'd say 90% of our partners are active. We also have a bigger team to support them. And then in Europe, you know, we're building out that activation. So I think you need to assess and look at who's not active and why, and then assess what they need to get active. So yes, we do that all the time. Now, you have taken purposely taken a, a strategy of position yourselves against the larger incumbents. And I suppose that there's, you know, look, there's a lot of wisdom of, of associating with, with, with well-known brands. Uh, but at the same time, though, is who, who are you to compare yourself up? Uh, so how has that worked in your favor? Because typically is that you're typically, you know, I've seen other companies that go about doing this, particularly on an international expansion, trying to avoid comparison more so than trying to take on the large incumbents and, and you're going in the opposite direction. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, been our MO from day one, from our founding team. That's exactly what they like to do. They founded seven different companies and they like to go after the big dogs and that's how they've seen success in the past. So that's what we continue to do. Um, it is does seem like a very difficult proposition, um, but when you have such a compelling value prop like we do, um, it makes sense and it gets people's attention immediately. They're like, oh, I can save 80% over Amazon's cloud storage. Tell me more. Or who's Wasabi? I need to know who this hot cloud storage company is just from their name, like you said. So. Yeah. We've built a really strong brand and we continue to invest in marketing at the awareness level in a big, big way. Our CEO yeah. believes in marketing, which is huge. And I think that's how we're able to go after those big dogs. And does, do you find that it's also challenging? Is it challenging or is this message getting through? Because uh, one of the things partners tell us consistently is customer consideration is a big is one of their key points that they look for when selecting a vendor. Are you able? Is that compelling message able to overcome that lack of awareness that that limits consideration? Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, the bigger our brand is known, obviously, the easier it is to sell to those end customers through channel. Makes it easy for the channel. In Europe in particular, some of our distributors are like, nobody knows who Wasabi is. So we're gonna private brand your cloud storage as our cloud storage and sell it that way, at least to start. And then we continue to build our brand in the region. And then over time, Wasabi will have the brand recognition as well. So well, that's, um, that's kind that's of an evolving strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, but that's interesting though, is that you're using white label as a, as a Trojan horse to get into the market. So is that, you know, is there any concern though, that in doing so that you're propping up another brand that may not translate to you downstream? Yeah. So we use actually a brand called Powered by Wasabi. So it is still leveraging the Wasabi brand, but it'll be like, you know, the distributor's brand name and then Powered by Wasabi. So you kind of get the best of both. 
So you described your, the beginnings of your international expansion as one where you saw demand, pent up demand by partners and customers, but partners will help bring you the way. And this has worked out well for you in Europe. Are you seeing the same type of pent up demand uh, manifest itself in other, in other regions, in Latin America, Asia, et cetera? Absolutely. So we just launched our APAC region actually a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we now have a headquarters based in Tokyo. Um, and yes, we already have some pent up demand in APAC. Um, and then as a result of our initial PR efforts to launch the new office, we have additional demand starting up right now. Now the next challenge is figuring out how to, again, build awareness there where no one's heard of us, but with a name like Wasabi, hopefully in APAC, that'll, that'll definitely get their attention. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's hope that that's the case, right? Exactly. But, you know, but this has got to be equally challenging, though, because even you're doing all this in a time when we're still very much constricted in international travel. So, you know, as we're looking at hotspots, I mean, Japan's back in somewhat of a lockdown mode because of the the spread of the Delta variant and the COVID pandemic. So. It, it, does add, that add to the complexity of, of establishing a good beachhead and then building out? Yeah, so what's interesting is since the lockdowns across the globe, Wasabi's grown tremendously and we've seen zero uh, lag in our growth because of the lack of travel. And as a matter of fact, we've done so well that our CEO said, you know, if people wanna work from home indefinitely, that's a possibility. Um, but everything's gone digital. So what we did was, you know, we used to do a lot of in-person events and now we do a lot of webinars and virtual events and podcasts and blogs and all kinds of inbound marketing activities. And the demand keeps growing. I also think we're in the right place at the right time. So, you know, we're, we're a digital cloud storage company in the market when everybody needs storage, their storage demands are growing People are getting hit with ransomware every single week. We have solutions that help all of those problems. So I, I don't see it slowing down anytime. What were some of the big surprises that you've learned along the way? What, would you, what, did, you, what did you experience that you didn't expect? Um, I would say, I mean, I'm, I was surprised at how we didn't miss a beat. Um, I did expect demand to slow down a little bit, at least. Um, I did expect some hiccups in uh, different regions, um, but really haven't seen any of that. Yeah, so no real surprises. No real surprises. All right, so here, let's, let, me, let me close on this question for you because I think it's important. When you're looking, you know, if you're approached by one of your peers, you know, particularly in a company of similar size and experience as yours, and they said, well, we want to start moving on to the international stage. What advice would you give them? What, what could you impart from your experience? Yeah, I mean, so my advice is, you know, number one, hire excellent people who have experience starting up small emerging companies in a new region. So we looked for talent that's done that before and knows how to do that. So that would be number one. Um, number two is make sure you have marketing budget to actually build the brand in the region. Because without, if you're just trying to sell without that air cover, that's kind of very difficult. Um, even if you're just trying to build channel and recruit channel, if they haven't heard of you, really, really hard. So luckily we have the momentum from the U.S. that we can expand. And uh, again, it's, it's just uh, 
the, the name Wasabi definitely gets us at that attention. Well, you know what? It certainly got my attention. So Lori Mitchell, the Vice President of Partner in International Marketing at Wasabi Technologies, the hot cloud storage company. Thanks for joining us to share your insights and experiences on expanding international channel. Thanks so much, Larry. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, a production of Channelnomics, with the support of our production team at Modern Podcasting. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit the like button, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and share with your friends. For more information about Channelnomics services and insights, follow us on Twitter and YouTube, and check out our website at channelnomics.com. Channelnomics is a registered trademark of and Changing Channels is copyright by 2112 Enterprises, LLC.